I actually know a little bit about the history of the rescue mission. Uh, Barry one time asked me to go dig out the Articles of Incorporation at the Secretary of State's office, and I remember this because they were signed in 1953, so I think that's when it was started. That, I remember that because that's the year in which I was born, and I also remember because the person who signed it was a guy named Walt Hilmer, who was my stepfather for several years. And uh, Walt and a guy named George Usler and some others got saw the need. They got, I think the biggest the story I heard from Walt was they, they were blessed because they had a, shed of, a set of dishes they could start with. Uh, and uh, when we got to Topeka in the 80s, uh, early 80s, uh, there was a rescue mission. It was an old brick building uh, not too far from the current rescue mission. And uh, it was known for rocks falling off on the guys sleeping there out of the wall. Okay, but they had no place else to go. Uh, and it was a few years later, uh, and Barry will tell you when, that uh, Barry was hired as the director. And I'm going to let him kind of tell you all about the things that have happened, but if you've been north of the river on Kansas Avenue, you've seen a, a rather large complex of buildings that are now the rescue mission, and the rescue mission has spawned many other ministries that Barry's going to talk to you about. Uh, one of the most well-respected people I know in the city of Topeka, and certainly by me and many of you, Barry, come and tell us. <clears throat> Thank you, Kent. Uh, it's great to be here. Uh, Halpins, I'm very honored that you'd come back to hear me today. That's, uh, uh, you can go back wherever you came from after this is over, but uh, thanks. No, they can't do that. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 uh, I appreciate Lion and the Lamb so much for the impact that you have had uh, on this community. 20 years now? That's, uh, that's amazing. I think I remember when you were just, uh, just a handful of people and uh, what you have seen happen through this body and how it's impacted the, uh, the good news of Jesus Christ throughout this community is phenomenal. And so thanks for sewing in and hanging in there. And uh, we're not done. Um, we're still moving forward. Kent, you brought up the early days of the rescue mission. This was before our time there. But uh, um, Max Manning, some of you know that name, uh, with Walt Hilmer and George Usler uh, were starting this little place on South 4th Street. Uh, to try to feed some of the folks who were hungry, and they called it Skid Row back in those days. And I'll never forget the story that I heard is that uh, they didn't have anything except this building, and Max went home one day. He was a pastor, missionary to Haiti, still today. Uh, I think he's the last founding member of the Topeka Rescue Mission, which is 64 years old now, the mission is. And um, he uh, uh, went home, and he opened up his cupboards at uh, lunchtime, and he saw all these wonderful dishes there in the cupboards, you know, and forks and knives and everything. And so he just thought, well, they could use those down at the rescue mission. So he popped them into his uh, box there and took them on down, and they had something to eat on. Well, the problem is Max didn't tell his wife about what he had done. And so uh, she came home later that day and thought they'd been robbed. And my understanding is she called the police, and uh, no cell phones back in those days, and the police officer was kind of amused that they had a dishes bandit. And uh, so anyway, uh, early days of the rescue mission, still like today, some amazing stories. I've been privileged to be a part of this ministry for 31 years out of the 64. And, and uh, what I'm going to talk to you today a little bit about is what's called TRM Ministries now that Ken alluded to. Some of you are very aware of it. Some of you are deeply involved in it right in this uh, congregation here. Uh, what God has been doing in the earth. 
And so, uh, but I have a couple of questions um, for you as we kind of get the, the thinking going here, and I'm going to show you what's called a Prezi. It's kind of like a PowerPoint, but it moves in a little bit of a different direction uh, to show this, uh, the scope of what uh, is going on. Two years ago, when I was here, when you were at Care Paraval, I had the opportunity to share with you some of the things that were in motion at that time. I'm sure you all remember all the details of everything I said, and if you don't, you really missed out on something. But anyway, I'm going to refresh you today what God has done in the last two years to be able to help us to be where we are in that place that God is helping us to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ. First question I have, what do you think is easier, to serve a bowl of soup to someone who's hungry or shoot a basket and swish it from half court? How many basketball players can do that? Okay, so probably serve a bowl of soup to somebody who's hungry. Okay. What's easier, to shelter over 2,000 homeless people per year, men, women, and children, or build a spaceship and send it up into outer space and circle the earth and then land back on the, on the earth? What do you think is easier? Hmm? No, it's hard to shelter the homeless, let me tell you. <laughs> Last question. What's easier to send a man to the moon, get out, walk around a little bit, pick up some rocks, put it back in the spaceship and come back and land on the earth, or solve poverty? <laughs> the moon's easier. The moon's easier. Uh, actually, as a matter of fact, in 1961, May 25th, JFK, John F. Fitzgerald Kennedy, our president, he set out a goal to go to the moon. Everybody at that time thought, well, that's just not ever going to happen. Um, turned around that just a few years later, on 1964, January 8, 1964, uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson declared war on poverty in the United States of America. So 60, 53 years later, we're still fighting that war. It's actually the largest war in American history. It was just five years after that that we actually landed on the moon. And so what has gone wrong is the question is why has this been the longest war in American history? Longer than the war on drugs? Longer than the Vietnam War? Longer than the war on terror? What has gone wrong? And, and last time I was here, I talked to you a little bit about that dilemma that we were in. What I do want to do is point out this, this proverb that comes out of Proverbs 19.17. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he's done. There's two things I want to focus on that on this morning. Is One is that while all the war on poverty has done these amazing things in regards to trying to help people, it wasn't out of a bad heart, but it was out of a bad method. $22 trillion has been spent on poverty programs in the last 53 years. And we have ten and a half more million people on the poverty rolls than we did in 1964 on January the 8th. About 70% of those dollars have probably been spent on administration. So what went wrong? And the other thing I want to point out in this, in that scripture, is he is kind to the poor, lends to the Lord, he will reward him for what he has done. I think what the Lord is saying in the scripture there is this is a partnership. This is something that we do together. And I think the war on poverty, that's what they missed. They missed the let's do it together part. They tried to push God out, as we know in this country, and said, hey, you know what? We care about the poor. We have a good heart. doesn't matter. We just want to come about it, but we want to push God over to the side. And unfortunately, the church, by and large, in the last 53 years, have said, okay, that sounds like a good idea. Let's just let the government take care of this. And finally, when we hit that 50th year mark here about three years ago, everybody was saying, oh, this didn't work out so well. And so today, 
Our country, with all of its challenges, is very willing to hear something different. Our country is saying we are in trouble on multiple levels. And today we're going to talk about what God has done just right here in this community. It's going on all over the country, all over the world. God is moving now in our nation, in our world, because we will do this together. And what he says is when you are kind to the poor, and that takes on a lot of different, lot of different ways, a lot of different methods, those things that we've employed over the years at the rescue mission, when you're kind to them, it's like giving God a loan. He doesn't need a loan. He's got all the resources he wants, but he will consider it that way, and then he will reimburse us back. And what does it says when God, what does the Bible say when God reimburses us back? He stuffs it together. He presses it down so it will not contain. And so I'm excited, like I've never been before, to be a part of this ministry, which is now Topeka Rescue Mission Ministries or TRM Ministries. So I'm going to kind of walk you through this just a little bit and uh, show you what we've been able to uh, see accomplished thus far. Uh, we have a mission statement, bringing help and hope through faith with the sleeves rolled up. You've seen that around for a long time. But what is our vision? Working together, transforming the community through the love of Jesus Christ. Does our community need to be transformed? Does any community need to be transformed? The answer is yes. Why is Lion and the Lamb here? For transformation. Not only the people that sit on the, on the pews here, that are downstairs, that go out in the community, but to transform the community. Uh, in what way? Jesus Christ. So we have a set of values that we uh, uh, look at. There are eight of them. Uh, love God. If we don't love God first, above all things, uh, we've violated the first commandment. We can't go past go. You know, we've got to stop right there. So loving the God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. These are the values as a ministry we focus on. doesn't mean we're perfect at it. doesn't mean we figured it out, but those are the values. Second one is to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that, we know what Jesus said about that. We don't always do that perfectly, but that's a goal. And so what we do as a staff and what we do as volunteers is we focus on these and we say, Lord, show us how to do those. Because if we do those first two well, then we can do a lot of other things well. The third is we want to walk it out in faith. As you probably know, the Topeka Rescue Mission does not take government funds. That doesn't make us better than anybody. doesn't make us more spiritual than anybody. It just means that's what God's called us to do. And so all of what we do is based upon God touching hearts of people to help us to do what we do today. And by virtue of that, we can share Jesus Christ. I had a person from another religion that I spent an hour and a half with one of our city council members last week who was hammering away at the mission, says, can you just get rid of that Jesus stuff? <laughs> I said, no. <laughs> we just really would wish you you just get rid of that Jesus stuff. We just, you're just trying to everybody make everybody a Christian, aren't you? And I said, no, we're not. We don't make anybody Christians. Well, that's what you do. You just want everybody to get saved and, 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 and worship Jesus, don't you? Oh, I said I'd like for them to do that, but we don't do that. That's God's job. Our job is to love our neighbors, ourselves by faith and to reach out and to do everything that we possibly can so that they will be able to hear God talk to them. And then, in turn, we share the good news. Well, I just wish you wouldn't pray. I just wish you wouldn't have that Jesus stuff all over the place. I said, I'm so sorry. I said, would you like to start another homeless shelter in town? <laughs> I'll help you. And they said no. But faith gives us the opportunity. A safety. We want to be a safe place, obviously, with all these things. I can't mention rocks falling on people. That didn't quite happen, but it came real close uh, where people, and that was actually during my time. That's why I disclaimer there. No rocks fell on anybody. <laughs> but it was real close. <laughs> really close. Um, it was a wake-up call. Big old rock fell down, crushed a, a chair one morning. Our building was falling down, and we, you know, we said, well, we're out of business. Or... 
We trust God by faith to take us to the next place, and we want to be safe to do it. But also there's a different kind of safety as Christians. We need to understand this. Because people, unfortunately, have been exposed to bad Christianity or religion, oftentimes they don't feel safe around us. And so when somebody comes in that's broken, and many people come to us have been in church before, but they aren't in church anymore because something didn't go right. The enemy used a place called the church or the body of Christ sometimes with people with maybe good intentions, sometimes not, to hit them the wrong way. And so when they come in, they're just broken and they're scared of us. And so we want to make them feel safe. We want them to feel like they are safe. Trustworthiness. This is very important. I just happen to know Joan Rucker and Eric Rucker back here. Joan's on our board of directors, so I'm going to be real careful here. We have the mandate by God to be trustworthy. And every dime, every penny has to have an accounting for. And so we take great steps to be, make sure that what we have coming in is something that people can trust us to be able to give to us, whether it's a pair of socks, whether it's food, whether it's a couch, whether it's a car, whether it's a house, whether it's a dollar. Today, there's this thing called Charity Navigator that's out there. Some of you may have heard of it. You can investigate charities all around the country. This is not to boast. This is not to say we're, we're proud. We're just grateful. Topeka is the number one highest scoring charity in Topeka, Kansas on Charity Navigator because of how they've analyzed us independently, national group, that looks at all of our records and our 990s and everything and says, this is your score. We still can improve, but we want to be trustworthy. Also, when somebody entrusts their life to us, we want, it goes along with safety, we want to be trustworthy. Service is kind of a given. We want to serve people who come to us, but servant leadership, people that come to us, and this is part of the challenge with the war on poverty, is that we have given and given and given to people over and over and over again, and yet they expect to be served. What we try to do at the rescue mission, we say, hey, you are saved. If you come to Jesus Christ, now serve. So we have some programs for that to teach people how to be servant leaders. And then the last one is which kind of goes back to that uh, vision statement, transforming the community through Jesus Christ. God has opened doors. If we will simply trust him in faith and walk with him in faith, he will take us not just to be a good church or a good body of Christ or Jesus followers, but to transform a community because this world is broken, this world is in trouble, this community is in the same boat, and so God has called us to step up to the lead, the lead, and show the way over and over and over again. So that's our mission, vision, values. And so, back to the War on Poverty, January 8, 1964. Um, this is a pretty um, amazing time in our nation's history where the goal was to eliminate poverty. Well, again, it hasn't happened. I already mentioned that. Uh, since that time, there's been all kinds of different legislations and opportunities and challenges that have gone on, uh, not only on the national level, but also on the local level here in Topeka, Kansas. Uh, we are in a unique place that we have an opportunity to influence a little bit, take the lead in regards to some of the welfare issues in our own community and as well as in our own state and be able to communicate with some people and uh, be able to share that good news of Jesus Christ. So kind of going back to that history again and uh, back to the beginnings, 
Uh, what we decided to do, and this was before Kent and my time, uh, this was uh, what's a long time ago. Anyway, 1953 is when they established this. There was a response. There were hungry people. There were homeless people. So there's two words I want you to remember today. One is response. The second one I'm going to share with you in just a little bit and how we're approaching this. So beginning in 1953, the rescue mission was on 4th Street, but then it moved over on North Kansas Avenue in 1959. This is some, just some pictures of the old dining room. Some of you may remember that. That was the beds. Um, the uh, ladies auxiliary used to make quilts to be able to put in there to uh, we, you couldn't go out and buy blankets like you can today but they, they actually made them and uh, that's how we uh, were able to put uh, uh, covers on there and that's the old rescue mission truck that was before my time too I wish we still had that today we probably could put that in a museum somewhere but uh, we don't operate out of those one thing that's been solid 365 days a year for the last 50, 64 years there's been a chapel service every night at the rescue mission not missed it one time now, what's required to go? We don't make people believers in Jesus Christ. We just talk about Jesus Christ and show them the truth and invite them to come in. And many people have found Christ in those chapel services. Moving up out of there, um, we found that old building beginning to fall apart as we were uh, having rocks fall out. And so in uh, 1989, uh, the old building began to crumble, and so we still knew that we needed to respond. And so we created what we call the main shelter um, and we moved in in 1991. Uh, many of you have been in there, served meals, at shelter, mentoring, uh, working with a number of men in, uh, in that facility and a long-term program, clinic, and so forth. It's been a phenomenal building. However, what's happened is in the mid-90s, we began to see a growing number of women and families who were becoming homeless. And so uh, we moved across the street uh, where the old site of the old rescue mission was and uh, built the Hope Center in the year 2000. And uh, inside the Hope Center is uh, many beds for uh, moms and children and dads and kids and uh, sometimes just single women. A uh, beautiful playground was built a few years later inside the Hope Center area there to be able to house our families. And so those are our shelter services. That is a response. Again, that's the word response. So guests sheltered in this 2016 uh, who were homeless were uh, over 1,000 men and uh, women were 672, children 342, and then uh, that was over 2,000 different people a year. So a total night sheltered, or 91,000 times people laid their head down to go to sleep. 91,000 times. Um, no charge, all because of the generosity of people in our community. Okay. So one of the things that we began to realize a number of years ago is that we're not finding everybody. Not everybody's coming to us. We're kind of crowded most of the time, but we weren't finding everybody, and God called us out into the streets. So about seven years ago, uh, we uh, created what's called Street Reach to go out and look for the unsheltered homeless within the community, and boy, did we start finding them. Uh, we were shocked. That first uh, summer we were out there, we just found a handful, but we began to learn what we were doing, and uh, so our response to uh, going out and finding folks in the streets... And uh, we find them in lean-tos like this. Um, we will find them uh, under bridges, which is kind of the normal thought of where homeless people would be hanging out. Uh, abandoned homes. Um, drug issues are rampant uh, within our uh, unsheltered homeless. We, uh, we find them in camps like this. And then uh, we find them in very, very ser serious situations. At any given time, we'll be working actively with 30 to close to 100 unsheltered homeless and national statistics say it takes an average of 70 contacts, 70 contacts, to be able to engage with an unsheltered homeless person before they will receive service. That's because of the mental illness and the substance abuse and so on and so forth that they encounter. 
Uh, Julie McElroy goes out on our street several times a week with Justin Hossman, our director, and does a phenomenal job out there to be able to uh, engage with these folks to try to build trust with them. Uh, one, one testimony, I probably shared this last time, but I, I just absolutely love it. There were these five guys who were underneath this bridge, um, and it was July, it was hot, and uh, they, uh, every day we'd go by and we'd offer them sandwiches or, or uh, some water, and offer them shelter. And they didn't want anything to do with us. They took our sandwiches, took our water, but uh, they loved to drink. They loved being under the bridge. One guy happened to be in a wheelchair. And uh, um, one day our street reach team went by, and uh, the guy that was uh, normally in the wheelchair was sitting on the ground. And his wheelchair wasn't anywhere to be found. And so uh, they uh, went up to him and said, hey, where'd your wheelchair go? And he said, well, somebody stole it. Stole your wheelchair? Yeah. How, how long ago? A couple of days ago. Well, how you been getting around? Crawling. These guys helping you? Your friends helping you? Your drinking buddies helping you? No. So uh, our street reach director said, if, I could, uh, if we could find a wheelchair, would you like for us to bring you a wheelchair back? And he says, yeah, whatever. So they got in the street reach jeep, came back to the distribution center, which I'll show you in a minute, and right at that very moment, a lady was pulling up with a minivan and pulling out the back of, a, of her van a wheelchair. Almost brand new. So Justin Hossman said, hey, uh, I'm on streets. Uh, we could use that right now. God has really used you. She was emotional about it. Popped that thing back 20 minutes later, pulling up a wheelchair to this, this guy and helped him get up in the wheelchair. And they said uh, to the gentleman there, the five guys, anything else we can do for you? Uh, no. <laughs> well, just let us know. God bless you. Later that afternoon, I was doing our staff devotion, and I was asking God, what am I supposed to speak on today, Lord? And I felt like it was to ask the staff, why do we do what we do? That's always a good question. Why do we do what we do? Sometimes we just get to doing stuff, and we think this is what we're supposed to be. What is the core value of what we do? And so I asked that question to the staff in our devotion time. I said, why do we do what we do? And they said, well, because God has commanded us to, loving our neighbor, uh, feed the poor, and hungry, and shelter the homeless, all those kind of things. Yes, yes, yes. Well, what's the core basis by what we do what we do? And somebody said, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And I said, bingo, that's it. We are here to share this good news, this phenomenal news, this transforming news of Jesus Christ. Okay, so we had that little discussion, and about 4 o'clock, we're all leaving the room, and one of those five guys who had been under that bridge came up to Justin, and he said, I have a question for you. Can you talk a minute? And he said, yeah. And he said, why do you keep doing that? Justin said, why do you keep doing what? Why do you keep coming back? He says, uh, Justin didn't really know what to say. He said, uh, because there's good news. <laughs> and the guy said, what? Uh, yeah, there's good news. Justin didn't know what else to say. And uh, the guy said, no, there's not. There's no good news. Uh, yeah, there's good news. No, there's not. And the guy became angry at that moment. He became angry that we would say there was good news. And he says, man, you don't understand. There is no good news. I've been homeless out here for the last five years drinking. I haven't had one day that I was sober. As a matter of fact, it's July right now, and I have not had a bath or a change of clothes since January. He said, there's no good news. What do you do with that? We encounter that a lot. And uh, all Justin could think of to say, yeah, there's good news, and that is that God loves you. Jesus Christ died for your sins. That's all we got to do, really. Is be there to share that good news and love people and not compromise. And God used that moment to immediately snap this guy around. And he began to cry and he began to weep. And he says, I don't want to live like this anymore. 
I don't want to live like this anymore. Then he said, could I have a place to stay? (laughs) That's what we do here, sure. Can I get a shower? Yeah, right now. (laughs) Good news of Jesus Christ is really what it's all about. If everything I say today, I want you to hear that. If anything you're doing today, I want you to hear about that. It's what's transformed your heart. It's what's transformed your life. It's what's changed you. It's what's the right reason you're here this morning. It's not to hear me. It's maybe some fellowship, but it's because something has happened in your life, and if that hasn't happened in your life, you're missing the best thing in the world. You're missing the best news. Because it's the only thing, even though people push up against us, it's the only thing that's transforming the world. And it's the thing that will transform our community, but nothing else will. All those things have been employed. $22 trillion later, war on poverty ain't working. But God's good news works. And so what happened with that guy? It doesn't happen this quick all the time. I wish it did. But he got sobered up. He was able to get a job. He was able to get a bicycle. That was three years ago, and he's still working today and sober and going to church because of the good news. Response, sheltering, streets. Another response that we have been doing for a number of years, which really started out with the rescue mission, was the food services. And so we serve meals every single day. Many of you have served in the dining room. That's back in our main shelter now. Our food services uh, reach out to anybody in the community who's hungry. And uh, just some statistical numbers there is that, backing up, we had 280,000 plus meals that were served out of the kitchen just last year. All donated primarily food that came to us to be able to cook, to serve people who come into the kitchen. And that's not the total number of meals, which I'll show you in a minute. Again, a response to the hungry in our community. Distribution services, another response. So what do I mean by response? We see a need, meet a need. See a need, meet a need. We step up to that. Does that really transform anything? No, it's just the beginning. But our distribution services uh, officially started back in uh, 2003. We got this building on Norris Street to uh, do some food distribution. As you can see there, about 119,000 meals were distributed from food baskets on top of everything else that we were doing. Uh, Completions of program, what that means is people who graduate from our programs at the mission then have an opportunity to be able to uh, get housing supplies, uh, curtains, beds, dressers, those kind of things. That's what we do at the distribution services uh, there. If you take a look at all the meals that we served just last year, um, 280,000 from the kitchen. Um, Food boxes were 119,000 on top of that. We supplied about 141,000 to other agencies. Amazing. Over half a million meals that were given to us. If we would have paid $3 a meal for all that food, it would have cost us $1.6 million for that food. Instead, we only spent $60,000. Why? Because as we respond, other people respond. And they bring us food to be able to do this. Now, these are things that we've been doing for years and years and years and years. It's called response. And thank God we're able to do that. Uh, Also, in our distribution services, we have a new donation center now. It's a warehouse at 206 uh, uh, North Street. It's where all the donations are collected now if people want to bring things to us. We had to consolidate them into one big, large place. Lots of volunteer needs down there. Um, just across the tracks from the shelters. Also, we have two thrift stores. Uh, This one you may be aware of at 1312 uh, North Kansas Avenue. Uh, This is a job training site for many of our guests who come to the mission, and it's also a place where we can make some additional funds of those things that are donated to us. We most recently, just a few months ago, acquired another place um, on South Kansas Avenue, or South Topeka Boulevard, rather, at 3400 called the TRM Boutique on the Boulevard. Now, I didn't know what the word boutique meant. Um, so I had to look it up on Google. But uh, our amazing staff uh, were able to pull this together. 
and uh, create this place here to be able to take our surplus items, some of the even higher quality items, and also a job training center uh, for us to be able to resell to make some funds for the mission. So if you really want to go into it, how many of you been to the boutique? Oh, yeah, okay. Lion and Lamb, you got it. All right, the rest of you, I don't know what's wrong with you. Anyway, you need to go there. You need to sit. It's visually stimulating, I want to tell you, uh, just to go in there. And while you're there, buy something. Um, Christmas shop. This is amazing. This is where we've had in our warehouse. Uh, we're not going to be able to have it there this year because of our donations uh, that are currently uh, coming into the warehouse at 206 Kansas, nor, uh, nor excuse me. Uh, but this is where we've been able to help people at Christmas time through the whole month of December. And again, it's a response to people who are in need, and uh, it's pretty amazing in there. Last year, 4,580 different individuals received Christmas gifts. Uh, over 2,000 of those were children um, through the Christmas shop. Okay. Uh, that's kind of just kind of what we've been doing, and we've been doing all that stuff for years. So we've run into a dilemma. Shelters are overcrowded. More people coming to us than we have capacity for. Um, so what do you do? You say, okay, we're going to build some more shelter. Um, I think Joan could attest to this. We really went through the ringer on this one. Uh, city is concerned. They're saying we need a plan, and so we came up with some different plans and, uh, to be able to take care of the overflow. This is the Hope Center uh, day room, and uh, if you can see back in there, we had uh, people on mattresses on the floor, uh, not intended for that purpose. And so we found this piece of ground. Uh, up to the left there is the uh, rescue mission uh, shelter that we have right here. And then this was a piece of ground back here that we, uh, we were able to purchase that. Now, I'll have to admit, uh, being wrong multiple times, and uh, I thought that this is where we were going to build the shelter. This was like my third thought of where we are going to build the shelter. And every time we'd make a public announcement on it, uh, God, for whatever reason, would then clarify that and say, no. <laughs> don't you love it when God clarifies things with no? I don't like it when he does that most of the time, but especially after I've already told people we're going to do something. And so, uh, especially when I've told the board we're going to do something, especially when I've told the media we're going to do something, when I saw all of our donors we're going to do something, and then it's kind of like God saying, you know, are you going to go with me or not? Or not? And so we got the ground, we toured the ground, and we're going to build a probably $7 million shelter. And then God really said, stop, stop. It makes sense to build a shelter when you're out of space to take more homeless people in, but it doesn't make sense unless God says to do it. So sometimes we can get in responding, 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 and we can do that in the church, and that's kind of what the war on poverty is, is just respond, but yet God's got a different plan. So many times we see in the scripture where the disciples were going in a certain direction, and God said, no, wait, go this way. Abraham was going to go up and sacrifice his son because God said, do it. But then God said, no, you passed a test. I'd like to think that's what it was with me. I passed the test, but probably in reality, I just missed. But I'm glad for the body to be around to be able to pray, get clarification for a board of directors and for others who came along and said, you know what, we're with you. If this is what God is saying, do, do differently. And so we began to say, okay, instead of expanding for another shelter, God, what do you want us to do? And so we began to stir our hearts about, let's take a look at is response good enough? And the answer to that was no, not really. And so what about rebooting? What about rebooting? What do I mean by reboot? I've chosen this term because there's a difference between just responding and rebooting. You know what happens when your computer gets all stuck and you try everything and you can't get this and it's, it's got all messed up and everything? What do, what do the experts tell you to do? Unplug it. 
Unplug it and plug it back in and it'll reboot. And so the nation has been at a place where it needs to really reboot this whole thinking on the war on poverty. And a lot of experts are coming around Topeka, Kansas right now because God chose us to do some rebooting ourselves. Not to quit responding. We don't quit. We don't say, hey, we're done with shelter. We're done with feeding people. We're done with clothing people. We're done with all those things. But we need to unplug and plug it back in to get a fresh, refreshing new perspective on this. And so first word is response. The second one is reboot. And so we began to study the community. This is what's called the City of Topeka Neighborhood Health Maps. The blue that you see here is uh, what's called a healthy part of our city. The light blue is what's called outpatient. The pink is at risk. And the red is called intensive care. Okay. What do you see there when you look at that? What I saw the first time I looked at that was a divided city. About half of us look pretty healthy. The rest are challenged, especially some in the red. Now, this is a composite map, and what I mean by that, it takes into account economic values of property, uh, property values, economic status of people, poverty, crime, and boarded-up homes and some other things. So up there in the top uh, right-hand corner, it says composite. And then if you look at the next map over, it is a map that is the poverty map. Now it's getting a little clearer. Did you know, which you probably did because Lionel and Lamb are smart people and you stay up on all the news, that 78% of the children who attend Topeka Public Schools are eligible for free or reduced lunches. 78% of the households of 14,000 children that are going into Topeka Public Schools are economically challenged enough by government standards that they are in need of help of food at school. Well, there's a reflection right there. Those red zones are the ones that are really in critical need. So we looked at that, and we said, okay, we got people coming to us. we got more people than we can handle. We were out in the streets. We're doing all that kind of stuff. But what do we do to take a look at this more effectively and find out where some of those hot spots were? And one of the hot spots that we began to look at was right here called Highland Crest West. Now, I know many of the people in Lion the Lamb know where High Crest is for sure because you minister over there. And where's Abby? She's, uh, there she is. She's working over there with Doxazo this year, and, and others have been over there. You know exactly what it is. But a lot of people didn't know. And so when I began uh, as chairman of the Safe Streets Coalition uh, for about seven years, in my sixth year of that, I was talking to community leaders, and I said, how many of you know where High Crest is? There was 80 in, 80 in the room, 80 community leaders. How many know where High Crest is? And I was shocked when only about 20 hands rose. 20 of our community leaders knew that name, Highcrest. And I just happened to understand that there was a school building there, and I said, hey, I got an idea. Why don't we start having our coalition meetings over in Highcrest? Everybody said, hey, that sounds fine. And so we got the Avondale East Elementary School, and we went in there and started having some meetings. And our number of 80 dropped to 40. (laughs) And uh, we began to see, because we were beginning to realize that that particular area had intense poverty, but also there was one other factor there that had intense crime had intense crime. And so it's one of those kind of things that you walk into something like that and you begin to analyze what you're doing and you begin to realize we're getting in pretty deep here. And so God had called us to start something new. This is reboot. Just don't do it all the way. You've always been doing it. Do something differently. Unplug, plug it back in, see what God's going to do, refresh the whole thing. And he called us to start what's called neighborhood empowerment and transformation. And as we began to study the community in this building called the, uh, the Avondale East Elementary School, which we worked out a deal with 501 to be able to go in there, we call it the Net Center, the Care Center, we were able to create a number of programs. The first one was called Dare to Dream for the adults. We went around door to door, some of you may have been involved in that, and say to the neighbors, would you like to be on the team? And they were saying, what team? The transformation team. Would you like to see your community transformed? They said, well, our community doesn't need to be transformed. 
We said, well, did you know you have one of the highest poverty rates and you have some of the, you have like 700 homes over here and not 350 of them, or most of them are not habitable because of uh, mold and rats? Yeah, that's where we live. That's all we know. Did you know you have one of the higher crime rates over here and one of the higher gang rates over here? Did you know that over here, we're not trying to make them feel bad, we just want to kind of wake them up because they were kind of lulled to sleep. This is the way life is. And we said, did you realize that there are more children that die infant mortality death rates right here in your neighborhood than anywhere in the whole state of Kansas? They were shocked at that. Would you like to be part of a team? And they said, nobody's ever asked us to be on anybody's team. Now the gangs have asked us to be on their team, but nobody's asked us to be on a team. So we created the Dare to Dream team and started working with people in the neighborhood to find the indigenous leaders that God was going to call. Some of them were leaders in hospitality. Some were leaders in what we call security. What, uh, we got one, uh, Nellie Hogan. Anybody knows Nellie? You'll know Nellie. Nellie Hogan's awesome. But she has a nickname, Nosy Nellie, because she peeks out the window all the time, see what's going on, reports crime. We love Nellie. She's also a strong believer. One lady came up to me after we announced that we were coming in. She lived in the neighborhood. She's uh, uh, had health problems, and she said, you know what, you're not going to stay. I said, uh, what do you mean? She said, I've seen you do-gooders do all this before. I said, uh, <laughs> What do you mean do-gooders? Yeah, you Christians, you're just going to come in, you're going to drop some shoes in here, some coats in the winter, have a meal, have something over in the park, Betty Phillips Park, but you're going to be out of here. I said, no, we're staying. We're not leaving. Staff later said, why did you say that? <laughs> I said, I don't know. <laughs> she said, here's why you won't stay. She said, I have a home. I've lived over here most of my life. I've got two little dogs. And she said, um... I have a mattress that I sleep on, and I go put it on one side of the house at night, and I lay down. And when my little dogs come up and start barking at the wall, I know the gunshots are going on that side. So I pick up my mattress, and I drag it over the other side, and I lay down. And when they come over there about an hour later or 30 minutes later or 15 minutes later, and they start barking, I know, because I can't hear the gunshots, but they can, so I have to move it in the middle of the house. When they start going to the front of the house, I move to the other side. I do that all night long, all night long. First two years we were in Highcrest, it was rough. It was rough. Some of you remember, may remember two years ago, July, when a five-year-old got killed, Lily Coates Nichols. And then about three weeks after we had a vigil, which the gang members said, no, you're not going to do that. The neighbors said, yeah, we are. We're going to do that because we're part of the Dare to Dream program with NetReach. We're part of Transformation. There were 13 shootings in one weekend. And this program called Doxazo, which uh, many of you are familiar with, one of the questions is, do we have what's called missions trip that summer in August, or do we cancel? Because it was the week before that camp that we had 13 shootings and another homicide, and we sat down with the police chief and the command staff. After two years of being in this, the gang members were saying, no, you're, you're going to leave. We had 120-some Doxazo students that were going to come and do this camp over there. And I'll never forget, Chief Brown said, I'll tell you what, the guardians of law enforcement will, will be with you. You'll be okay. I'm going, hey, there's 13 shootings a couple of days ago. How are you going to do that? He said, just trust me. I said, I can't do that. And then it was one of the majors said this. He said, you've got to come back in. I said, what do you mean we've got to come back? He said, if you quit now, you're going to lose all the ground that you gained. You've got to bring that. And he, he was funny. He couldn't pronounce doxazo. He said, dixu, doxy, woozy, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Took me a long time to get it, too. I still call it doxigazio, yeah. But he said, you've got to come back. So we stood over at Fellowship Bible Sunday evening before the camp was start on Monday. 
with about 400, 500 different parents and grandparents. And I said, this is all I know. God called us to go. Yes, there's been violence. Police chief said they'll be there. The guardians of law enforcement will be there. But here's the reason that God's called us to go. You don't have to go. Out of 120 students, only four didn't come, which I totally understood. Parents said, no, you're not going. Parents, I found out later, were scared to death. Sometimes God calls us to go to those places that we're going to be scared to death to go. And the lady came up to me after that camp who had said, you're not going to stay. She came up with tears in her eyes. And she said, you stayed. I said, yeah. Why did you stay? I don't know. <laughs> we did. And we're not leaving. And we've seen amazing things. Crime has dropped 40% in four years now. Dare to Dream, the Dare to Grow program for the kids. Uh, it's been phenomenal. We've also added uh, what's called the Lighthouse program, where we go in. Light stands for living in God's hope today, not just for eternity. We're going to start it today. Uh, people in the program, they'll get their houses looked at and renovated. Uh, collapsed sewer lines, roofs caving in. Uh, working with the city on a number of things for some city funds. We don't take them. We say, city, come in and do your thing, and we'll do our thing. Working with Habitat for Humanity, but Lighthouse is our program, and this is one of the dedications after. We'll have teams. Some of you have been on the teams. Uh, how many of you in here worked on Tia's house? Okay. All right. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Total transformation in her home. Um, and then uh, part of uh, what's going on NetReach is what called NetWorks, a job readiness program for the residents in Highcrest. we got a long way to go. Long way to go. But it's rebooting, thinking of it differently. One social worker said to me and said to a whole group of us when we first started over in Highcrest, forget it. You're wasting your time. It's too complicated. There's too much brokenness here. This is a dump zone, always has been, always will be. What do you say to that? What do you say to that when people tell us, no, it won't work? You've got to go back to what God told you to do. Not what you presume to do or what's a good idea, but what God told you to do. And believe he's going to send you the resources. When George Usler and Walt Hilmer and those guys said, yes, we'll do this, and Max Manning got in trouble for stealing dishes out of his own house, they had to do what God called them to do. And so that's what God calls us to do. And so, through all the hardship, we began to see God do some amazing things over in Highcrest. Today, 40% crime reduction, we've got a long way to go. Uh, that's NetReach. Not a response, but a rebooting of t looking at things differently. Oh, by the way, I said to the lady, I said, I think that's probably what they said 10 years ago, let's don't do this. <laughs> and probably before that, 20 years ago, they said, let's don't do this. Why don't we just wait another 10 years and then we'll re revisit it again. She left. Church over in Oakland, another one of our impoverished neighborhoods, um, gave us this building. We call it the Oakland Net Center. I really haven't got a net reach program kicked off, but it's a great place for studies. It's where we have our biblical studies there. Uh, we have some meals uh, through uh, one of our churches now, puts that on on Sundays. It will be a future net center. Another reboot. Education services. Feed them, shelter them, clothe them, go in and love on them, but you've got to train them. You've got to train them. So God has really shown us some phenomenal ways to integrate Jesus Christ into purpose and hope. So now we have what's called the Care Center over in North Topeka. That's at um, uh, 1208 North Kansas Avenue, where we have employers that will work with us to be able to engage with our folks, to be able to get them out on the work field. So it's 12 weeks long, and we'll get the folks out of, this is out of the shelter, and they actually will give them an internship somewhere um, to work. One of my prized students uh, just gave the graduation speech here the other day. Phenomenal graduation speech. She grew up in the rescue mission as a little girl. 
She became very, very depressed throughout life, in and out of the shelter, drugs, bad choices, all kinds of things, and actually tried to take her life twice not too long ago. But God worked out something special with a volunteer to begin to work with her on some volunteering around the rescue mission. And because God sent somebody into her life and we were there consistently over and over again and she went through care, she became our graduation speaker and now she's working at Mars, making great money. Because people came along. Also, our education services back at the main shelter involve uh, the SIT program, service and training, a one-year biblical study program. Um, and then also our CBLD. I don't know how many of you know about this, but you've heard of, uh, you've heard of Tumi Topeka. Um, it's the Urban Ministry Institute. It's a four-year seminary-level biblical program out of World Impact. They look for indigenous leaders within neighborhoods globally to train them seminarily to be able to become pastors and go out into the world and evangelize the world because they can't afford to leave where they are to go out and do that. So we began to work with World Impact and Tumi Topeka to create our own two-year program, and this is our first graduation class, three people, two years, seminary level. Each one of these folks has got seminary credits now that will transfer, transfer to master's programs around the country, including Fuller Theological now. Homeless people, first one in the country that's done this. That's not a response. That's a reboot. Okay. A couple more here. Well, Doxazo, we've talked about that. How many of you, this is the first time you've heard of Doxazo? You wouldn't admit it, would you? Oh, you did. Good job. Okay, Doxazo. Started well before the rescue mission, but I was praying. I said, God, you know, you got a lot of cool things going on here. Uh, this ministry's growing. It's not Topeka Rescue Mission anymore. It's Topeka Rescue Mission Ministries. It's a grouping of ministries. And so uh, where's the next generation coming from? And so fast-forwarding that whole story, I, I talked with the directors of Doxazo. They were just kind of doing it on their own. They didn't have a 501c3 or anything, but they've been in operation for about 10 years doing youth camps, uh, primarily at uh, Dr. Alan Wynn's house and, and the Wynnwoods and, and uh, uh, what they called it, Wynnwood Camp. And so I found these two guys, and I said, hey, guys, I said, would you be interested in creating an institute to train young people, high school and college age, to be urban ministry leaders? And so that's what's happened. And so uh, what we saw was a, a tough summer over in Highcrest and around to, to get these folks in, give them the real experience. And uh, what's called Doxazo Institute is the next generation of leaders that are coming up. Uh, instead of, uh, like, like one young man I got a chance to mentor a couple of years ago, he came out with a 4.0 out of K-State in pre-dentistry. And uh, he said, I don't, I'm not sure I want to be a dentist. And I said, you know why you're probably not sure you want to be a dentist? Because God hasn't called you to be a dentist. He's called you to be a missionary who may be a dentist someday. That's a different way of thinking. There's police officers, nurses, teachers, firefighters, lawyers. So what we've done is we have grown up to think in our culture, these are the things that we're going to become, and we may do some mission work. God has called us to be ministers, missionaries, right where we are. Talked about you don't have to get shots to go do this ministry. You can do it right here. And you may happen to be a doctor, a teacher, a nurse, or a dentist. Matter of fact, he's going into physical therapy now instead. Uh, phenomenal. And so we've created an institute to be able to help kids to begin to think, reboot the way they're thinking for the next generation because I can't do this forever. Okay, a couple more. Now, this one really took me by surprise. Sex trafficking in our community. Started out about four years ago. Our street reach team was out um, in abandoned homes, um, drug houses, 
working with a lot of really challenged folks. And uh, some of the females were saying, uh, we want out. And so, okay, come on. Can't. What do you mean you can't? Uh, not allowed to. Who's not allowing you to? Can't talk about it. Uh, so my street reach team came back to me and said, uh, we got a kind of a new one here. Not really sure what we're looking at. I wasn't sure either. Uh, long story short, we began to realize that what we may have is people held captive, maybe not in chains at this point, but held captive against their wills and cannot feel safe to leave where they are, and they're being abused in horrible ways. And so we began to research what human trafficking was. I always thought it was out there somewhere. So in 2014, we uh, unofficially walked into what's called Restore Hope. Now God gave us that name because when you have been a victim of sexual slavery, when you have been torn down that much, you don't know who you are anymore. You are what somebody has told you you are. Did you know there are three major illegal activities for money-making in the world today? And those top three are drug trafficking, firearms trafficking, and human trafficking. Human trafficking is moving up into the number one spot. They think it probably will be there soon. And here's why. To drug traffic, illegal drugs, what you have to do is you have to manufacture it, and you have to ship it, and you sell it, and somebody uses it one time, it's done. Pretty much the same thing with a firearm from the original investment. But human trafficking has a reproducing commodity that you can use for several years if you do it right. And so slavery in our world is huge. And so we began to look at it, we began to study it, and we began to say, could it actually be here? And in 2014, we worked with four people. We said, okay, we've identified four people in our community. Didn't think it would be that many. <laughs> we began to find them in homes and different places around our community. We began to talk to the hospital, uh, hospitals about what they were seeing, and we began to have a community conversation about it. In 2015, uh, Restore Hope, um, back to that word, Restore Hope, what we said, God, what do you want us to call it? And he said, I want you to restore the hope of the original purpose by which I created them. Not by which they have been told that they are pretty much like a, a livestock in, in, in a barnyard. I want you to help them to understand who they really are. So in 2014, four people. In 2015, we worked with 45. We were shocked. But as the word began to come out, we began to network with people last year, in 2016, we were stunned, 92, in this community, referrals for human trafficking. So we thought, well, are we going to max out? Already this year, it's over 80. Go back. <laughs> over 80 this year, referrals. How does that happen? Happens when you know what you're looking at. Always been in front of us, we just didn't know what we were looking at. Because of the Restore Hope team's efforts, and Julie McElroy is on the front lines of that. I want to tell you what, this is an amazing person right here. And Dan, you're amazing to let her do what she gets to do. Now, I don't want you to go around all town. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I cannot tell you where she goes. <laughs> I cannot tell you what she's done. I, got tell you, I can tell you the impact of it. But compared to where Julie goes and a handful of others, and Dan knows where she goes, and he prays for her and supports her, this is making one of the biggest differences I've ever seen. 
There are two levels of our society. There's one that you and I kind of hang around in right up here. And then there's another one right down here that we don't see that often, unless you do what we do. The body of Christ is pretty content right up here. And this level down here, crime and drugs and sex trafficking and guns and knives and shootings and all those kinds of things, well, that's just a little bit of that. No, it's a lot. Eric Rucker knows about it. Some other people know about it. We're beginning to see it, and God's calling us to go here, to engage with that. And there's some really good reasons for that, because if we stay up here and this grows down here, eventually this is coming up to meet us. And God's saying, you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to go there, to go there to share the good news of Jesus Christ now before it's too late. And you've got to be called, and you've got to be trained, you've got to be equipped to deal with it. Are there females chained up in homes around our community, in basements, who are being sex slaves? Yep. How do we know this? Because they've told us. How do we know they're telling the truth? Well, I'll say this, and then I've got to stop, or I'll say too much. It was a week and a half ago, I sat down with one of the guys involved in doing it to him. And part of the biggest drug trafficking in our community, they got sideways with him, and they shot him. He had a real come-to-Jesus meeting. <laughs> and he verified everything we've been told. Who the players are, where they are, all these things. You're saying, why don't we just stop it? Because people are having a hard time embracing this as a fact. But every day, Julie and someone else that works with her and a couple other folks are seeing it face-to-face and seeing the brokenness. And what they're doing is they're stepping up and saying, we want to help you understand who you really are. And it doesn't happen 8 to 5, right? (laughs) Generally, 3 o'clock in the morning is about the time it happens. What we have learned is this layer down here is growing, even in our own community. And God has called us as the body to get behind it. We're going to have to do much more than we've done because this is coming up to meet us. And God's called us to go down there. And so this guy who got shot pretty bad and survived it came to Jesus, and I said to him, I said, why did you come to Christ? He said, these two women came to see me in the hospital. The abuser they came to see in the hospital, the guy who's been part of getting them shot up with crystal meth came to see them in the hospital and had such joy in their hearts. And that's one of them right there. Had such joy in their hearts. I hadn't smiled in years, he said. He said, today my mind is clear and I want to serve Jesus Christ the rest of my days. We had to get him out of Topeka. He's not here anymore. We know where he is. And he's a good place where some Christians are going to mentor him. Reboot. One more. I'm sorry for the length of this, but you won't have me back for two years, I know. (laughs) I talked about this being overcrowded. That was our response. Build another shelter right there on that little piece of ground. And God said, no. Well, what are we going to build, Lord? We've got to build something. (laughs) We're builders, you know. And God said, uh, in so many ways, I want you to build a place for little kids. Well, that's the last thing I wanted to do. Probably the last thing the board wanted to do. But God kept coming back, do something for little kids. And it wasn't until I heard the reason why, the reason why, 
a child care facility. This is the biggest reboot of them all. We have generational neighborhoods and societies and communities at this level down here that are walking around in poverty, and it repeats itself over and over and over again. And they found out there's some science on this, and that is when you are in so much trauma from food insecurities and violence and poverty and don't know if you're going to have any running water and the stresses in the homes, what happens in that first three to five years of development of a child's brain is the frontal lobe doesn't grow right. That's where your cognitive functioning exists. And so you can get all the training you want, but it doesn't stay. And so you will become disabled. And so we've seen it over and over and over again. And so we, we said, God, what do we do about it? And he says, I want you to create this place And I want you to call it a palace, a palace for children. And I want you to reboot this. And I want you to take them out of their families, not remove them from their families, but take them out of their families and give them this opportunity. Yeah, moms and dads can go to training, they go to work, they go to therapy, substance abuse, all those kind of things that are part of poverty and homelessness. But I want you to love on them, to show them who they are and how much I love them and their royalty in my sight as well as yours. And so we said, okay, God, we'll do that. And so he showed us place. That's the, uh, no, no, this is the main shelter, Hope Center. This is where we were going to build a shelter. Distribution services are over here. And he pulled us down into this place right here. Some of you have been there. Some of you helped build the playgrounds. But we created the rebooting of a, a system and created the Children's Palace. If you haven't seen this, it's amazing. So... I've got to give this testimony, and I'm going to shut it down. I promise. We've got no money for this. And uh, a lady came to see me off the street one day, and she said, um, what, are you, what are you doing around here? And I said, oh, we're doing all these things. <laughs> and she said, well, I want to invest. And I said, great. What do you invest in? She says, I don't know. What do you think I should invest in? We didn't have this design yet. I just said, we want to do something for kids. And she said, I don't know. And she left. I thought, shucks. <laughs> she came back in sometime later after she had prayed, and she said, uh, God told me where to invest in children. We still didn't have this design yet. I said, okay. And she said, here you go. Hand me a check for $1 million. And I was stunned. I had to count the zeros several times. And then she said, can I pray for you? <laughs> I must have looked like I was going under... <laughs> I said, sure. So she prayed for me, and she said, um, the Lord just spoke to me. Somebody else is going to do this. And I said, uh, okay. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> Never happened before. Three weeks later, a lady calls me, and she says, uh, hey, I, I want to invest. And I said, okay. She said, you want to know how much? I was driving down the road, uh, Highway 40, and I said, I'm driving right now. She said, I better wait. I go, could that be? <laughs> she came in. These ladies don't never meet each other. She gave a million dollars, just like that. So we're building along and going along and building this place called the Children's Palace. And that lady calls up and says, how much is left? And I added up the numbers. I said about a million dollars. She said, I want to finish it for you. And she said, I want to give that to you, but I don't have a million dollars to give you right now. So if I can stage it out over a period of months, would that be okay? My last payment will be in August. I said, sure. (laughs) This is going to finish this thing. I remember going into our 
director of the palace, uh, Jessica Hossman, and uh, Libby Adams, who's our IT person. And after I got done crying over the phone talking to this lady, I came in and I had a box of Kleenex and I said, here. And they go, no, we're fine. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> Libby took one. Jessica wouldn't take one. I said, take one. I'm good. No, you're not. So she took one and I shared with her what had just happened. Okay. Those ladies would never meet each other. That lady, last payment came in in August, and she died. She died. God took her home. She never got to see this. But God's shown it to her now. So the lady, who, first lady who came through, she walked around and saw all this stuff before we were open, and she begins to cry, and she said, and this is why I'm sharing this testimony, why it's taken so long. She said, I want to tell you what, 20 years ago, God showed me this in a vision. Every single room, the way it's set up, in a vision. And she said, I can't believe I'm able to see it. I was able to help be a part of this. And she left. Now, we have this beautiful building we're building. We have nothing to operate it with. It's taken a million dollars the first year to operate it. And I remember those board meetings going, oh, it's going to be terrible to have that beautiful building and no money to operate it. She called back three weeks later and she said, guess what? God spoke to me again. Here's another million dollars for your first year of operation. When God calls us to do a thing, whether it's responding or rebooting, he will supply. It's amazing. Some of you built the playgrounds. We have our kids in there, and there's some damaged kids. One little boy that comes in every morning takes him half a day to get out of crying and throwing up and scratching and hitting. But I spent... Friday afternoon with him for about an hour with his worker. Nicest little guy in the world. Three years old. His dad's mentally challenged. Mom is a meth head. But we're going to give him a new shot. We're on poverty. We've attacked it 10 different locations in the community. People are coming in from all over the world now to take a look at Topeka Rescue Mission. Responses, shelter services, street reach, food services, distribution, rebooting with net, education, doxazo. That's why we call it TRM Ministries now. And they all come together under one umbrella as God has called us to be a part of the body of Christ. One last thing I want to leave with you is that you're going to say, God, what do I do? What do I do? Very soon, we're going to launch a campaign. I'm going to give you all the details right now. But it will give you the opportunity when you see a need, to meet a need. And it'll give you an opportunity to do it now. Thank you. God bless you.